0: Ed Robertson welcoming you to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television that has taken a few days off this holiday weekend. We'll be back with a brand new edition of the program next week. Our second hour will include an encore presentation of a conversation that originally aired in the fall of 2014 with Stanley Livingston, Stanley Livingston, Chip Douglas, from My Three Sons. We'll talk about Stan's career in front of and behind the camera before and after my Three Sons, including the pivotal role that Ozzie Nelson played in Stan's early career. We'll also talk about an excellent program that Stan produced that teaches both aspiring actors and parents of aspiring child actors the business of the acting industry. We will play our conversation with Stanley Livingston beginning at the top of the hour. We are to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, we will devote this hour to the subject of Lee Marvin, the Academy Award-winning film actor who became a household name partly as the result of television and particularly the noirish 1950s crime drama M Squad, and an actor whose influence on film can still be seen today in the work of Quentin Tarantino, Joe Dante, Jim Jarmish, and Martin Scorsese. Someone once said that the depth of Lee Marvin never really came out until you saw him on the screen. You knew there had to be something inside him that could create images that he wanted to convey to you. And though Lee Marvin, the person, remained somewhat enigmatic up until the day he died, there's a new book by our next guest, Dwayne Epstein, that explores the depth of Lee Marvin to reveal a sensitive soul beyond the persona of the hard-drinking man who lived life on his own terms. We will tell you more about Dwayne's book in just a second. First, Dwayne Epstein, welcome to TV Confidential.
1: Oh, thank you, Ed. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.
0: We were talking before we started recording. Uh, it took you 20 years to write this book. Now I realize you didn't work on it consecutively for 20 years, but
1: sure. uh, yeah, that's true.
0: But the fact that it took a life, you know, 20 years for you to write the book is, or at least for the book to be published, you know, that that's a story in and of itself. Uh, let's begin. What spurred your interest in Lee Marvin?
1: Well, there is the short answer and the long answer, and the short answer is I'm a fan. Okay. Always have been. Uh, the long answer is just a little bit more involved in that. Um, I have a, a friend of mine who is a, a biographer as well, a gentleman by the name of Marshall Terrell, who wrote a very good book on Steve McQueen many years ago? And I, I grew up being a movie fan. I still am. I, according to my mother, I came out of the womb loving movies. <laughs> so I, whatever I get my hands on, what, in terms of watching movies all the time, reading about them, I'm kind of a self educated film fan. So. Well, and Steve McQueen is a personal favorite, so when I found out that Marshall, this gentleman, Marshall, had written a book on Steve McQueen, I came in contact with him. We met, and as we were talking, he was the one who suggested, have you ever thought of writing a book yourself? Now, I have a journalistic background, but believe it or not, I never actually did consider it. So we started talking about different possibilities, and since, at that time anyway, there never really had been a book on Lee Marvin, and Marvin was one of my favorites. Um I decided to pursue that. Uh, over the years Marshall and I have gone our separate ways but we're still in contact with each other and in the interim I not only pursued researching a book on Lee Marvin but I also pursued getting it published which you know you probably know yourself being a published writer that's one of the hardest parts
0: yes it is finding an interesting (laughs) publisher everybody
1: wants to be the first the second Person to have the first great idea and since nobody had done a book on Lee Marvin before there had been one that was done while he was alive that was really not very well done he had the author had access to a lot of great information via Marvin but he didn't really delve the way he should there was a lot of unanswered questions now that said the more I researched Lee Marvin first just dabbling my toe into the water the more fascinated I became and the big thing was you know I'm a baby boomer Lee Marvin was of a different time he was of the greatest generation he lived through the depression he lived through World War II he uh... it survived in in um, active combat in the Pacific I had no connection to any of that so I didn't think there would be an interest for me but the more I researched the more as I said the more fascinated I became because in, in many ways he was typical of his generation but in many ways he was not I mean he was amazing it was amazing to me to discover that he of, of his to be of his generation and to publicly state he had no problem with gay rights let's say or he was an early feminist or for I mean not to the extreme of any kind but for somebody who had such a badass image on yeah. screen he was also politically a Democrat and a liberal for the most part you would you would assume he was like John Wayne but that was not the case so it in answer to your question, yes, um, I became fascinated. I was a fan, and the more I found out, the more I delved, and the more I liked it.
0: Yeah, and and this kind of touches on uh, some of the things we uh, we chatted about before we formally started recording. I mean, he was there. There were aspects of the on-screen persona of Lee Marvin uh, that kind of reflected some of the some of the things that he struggled with as a person off camera but at this but 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 at the same time as you just touched on there were there are aspects about him that you know he very rarely showed to the public you know um i mean he was he was a very literate man uh which which very rarely come across on film and, and sometimes he would reveal that in his interviews with the press
1: indeed all true um you know, like most people, like a lot of us actually, just as human beings, he was filled with paradoxes yeah. or a lot of uh contradictions about the man. He never graduated high school, and yet he he was, av- from all, by all concern, the people I spoke with, I interviewed over a 100 individuals who knew him or worked with him, and they all told me that he was a very naturally intelligent man, that, and and he could his observations and perceptions of things were were fascinating and as much as i could possibly do i would in the research i would quote him throughout the book almost as if it would be as close to an autobiography as possible um, by using these words infinitely one real good example that i could tell your listeners about would be the chapter devoted to his time in the service mm-hmm. and as i said earlier not being of that generation certainly not anywhere like an Ernest Hemingway or even an Ernie Pyle, I couldn't begin to con- you know, consider what it must have been like to not only go through that, but then have to write about it. And I put that chapter off as long as possible because I have no experience in combat or dealing with the military at all. Luckily, I was able to put all of the letters that Lee wrote while he was in the service uh the letters he wrote back home, I was able to put them all in chronological order, and as I tweaked them a little bit, I came to the realization I don't have to write this chapter. Lee Marvin can write it, and the entire chapter is in his own words, and his observations are fascinating so um it's an example of uh, the kind of thing I'm talking about now, inversely, I mean, I can also add that I did a great service for the reader because those original letters are almost impossible to read. It was hieroglyphics. He was a terrible speller. <laughs> He suffered from, uh, um, according to his wife, his uh, first wife, he had um, attention deficit disorder, and he was dyslexic. Yeah. And it showed in the letters. It was like reading the writings on an ancient Egyptian pyramid. But it took me time. My publisher was nice enough to give me a little more time so I can uh, translate all that. And I was able to let Lee write the chapter.
0: Yeah, you are able to let Lee write the chapter, and, you know, uh, when you... When you talk about his struggles with dyslexia and ADD, you remind readers uh, that, uh, especially a post a post Vietnam War uh, readership, that you know there there are certain things we kind of take for granted today. But back in the 30s, when Lee Marvin was growing up, schools, teachers, they didn't they didn't recognize that ADD or dyslexia were problems that should be dealt with. They just assumed you were stupid. Right,
1: exactly, exactly right, and you know, consequently, he, he it, it it affected you know his uh, schooling. He himself thought he may have been you know slow or yeah. ignorant because he struggled with the homework that he had, and was and consequently he had many run-ins with authority figures mm-hmm. uh, when he was very young, and he ran away from home a lot when he was four. The earliest time was when he was four years old, and he was on a train bound for Chicago. I mean, he, he struggled with authority, and he also struggled with, you know, being forced into a certain image or idea of what he was supposed to do as a young boy, and it turns out that as he got older, he realized, you know what, it's not me, it's them. Mm -hmm. That was his, actually, that was his attitude, even as he was a child. I mean, you could, you could see it in uh, the letters he wrote home, which are also in the book, when he was in school. He was kicked out of several schools, Um, and you can tell that he, you know, he tells his parents, look, I'm trying. But for one reason or another, this just ain't going to work for me. And it, it, I mean, it's fun. you know, what's interesting, too, is as a professional actor, once again, another paradox, when he became a professional actor, there's a thing human beings do when they have a problem, which is to compensate in other ways. Mm-hmm. And because he had trouble transposing letters and writing and maintaining his... uh his attention span, he, he would use a coping device. One of those coping devices was the fact that he had a photographic memory. Mm-hmm. And he amazed everybody with his ability to read a script, pretty much read a script once and boom, he had it down. He was great in auditions that way, and he almost never was out of work once he decided to become an actor. So, I mean, he compensated.
0: A few weeks ago, Dwayne, we had Bill Daly on the program. Oh, and, very cool. And like Lee Marvin, Bill... Daily struggled with dyslex- uh, uh, dyslexia as he was a young man, and there is a parallel between the both of them in that Bill 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 compensated for his inability to read scripts with the fact that he was a quick. You know he. he, uh, he, he was a, quick a quick study. study. Yeah. So uh, just like Lee, and it
1: doesn't sound impossible that if you can't understand what you're reading, how can you memorize it? And yet that the human mind can compensate. Yeah. It's it, so fascinating to me.
0: <laughs> yes, and if you if you pick up a copy of Point uh, Lee Marvin Point Blank uh, by Dwayne Epstein, you'll uh, you'll you'll engross yourself in a very va- uh, fascinating study of Academy Award winning actor Lee. Marvin Dwayne's book presents uh, Lee Marvin as a deep, very complex individual who was not only a generous actor, but a man who often took great risks in his acting and career choices. And as Dwayne just mentioned, Dwayne interviewed more than 100 of Lee Marvin's friends, colleagues, and family members. Plus, Dwayne's book includes a very touching afterward by Lee's eldest son, Christopher Marvin. The publisher of Lee Marvin Point Blank is Schaffner Press, and Schaffner is spelled S-C-H-A-F-F-N-E-R, Schaffner Press. And you can find Lee Marvin Point Blank at your local bookstore as well as your neighborhood public library and schaffnerpress.com, amazon.com, wherever books are sold online. I'm holding a copy of the hardcover edition, Dwayne. Is the book available in other formats or will it be?
1: Absolutely. It's available in hardcover, as you probably have in your hand right now. Uh, the paperback came out at the beginning of this month with some bonus material on it, and it's also available as a Kindle and other ebook formats. I'd like to mention, too, for, uh, there's other supplemental material I keep adding. So what we were speaking of earlier about some stuff wasn't able to make it into the book. Now I can say everything that was meant to go in the book is because I have a website. That I update, uh, I update the blog on a fairly regular basis, it's called pointblankbook.com, and if anybody wants to log on and check it out, I, I highly encourage them to do so, as well as to comment on whatever they see, and as, as I said earlier, anything that wasn't able to go on the book is now on the blog.
0: Point blank book dot com. That's very easy to remember. Point a lot easier to remember than Schaffner Press because <laughs> uh, uh, no 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 disrespect intended to your
1: press. No, quite all right. Hey, listen, since you mentioned it, I should I, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the publisher, Schaffner Press, run by Tim Schaffner. And you know, if you call up Simon and Schuster, you're not going to get Mr. Simon or Mr. Schuster on the phone. But there is indeed a Tim Schaffner of Schaffner Press, and I got to get—I say this all the time, and I put it in the acknowledgments, he's the only publisher, he's an independent publisher, he's the only publisher in America, in my opinion, with any vision. Because one of the reasons why, as I said earlier, one of the reasons why it took 20 years to get the book out to the public was every publisher turned it down, every single one of them. There were a couple that came close that considered it, but the bottom line was always the same. Nobody believed there was a market for a book on Lee Marvin. And he, Tim read the proposal I put together that was submitted by my agent, and he liked it. He had some questions at first, and we talked it over, but ultimately, he liked it. And, uh, he went with it, he took a chance, and it's now become, he's been publishing since I believe 2000, and it has since become the most successful book he's ever published.
0: Well, uh, Dwayne, having walked the walk as an author, I, I can tell you from my own experience, sometimes it takes a while for a book to find a home.
1: Indeed, it does. And right. I'm living proof. We're both living proof of that.
0: Yes, yes, we are. And there are any number of directions we can go uh, talking well, about. Well, you
1: that. know, I'd like to, if I may, I don't want to be rude, but I, I mean, the name of your show, TV Confidential, I think Lee would be a natural for. There's an entire chapter I dedicated to his TV. Well, work. we're going to. We're, uh, we're, we're going to. fascinating stuff about what he did on television.
0: And we're going to get to that. We're going to get oh, to okay. That. We're going to get to that. But um, just to segue on something you just said a little while ago about how. you uh, you know Lee's struggles in school, which were related to his struggles with dyslexia, but it led it it, uh, it resulted in not not so much a struggle of author- a struggle with authority, but he was never afraid to question authority.
1: No, not at all. And you know there was other factors involved as well besides his. Uh his add and and his dyslexia and that would be his um upbringing and his relationship with his parents uh especially his father he had a very complex complicated relationship with his father and he as much as he struggled at school when he came home and he didn't get good grades or or if he got in trouble for doing something wrong his father beat him now nowadays we would call something like that you know abusive or you know any any number of pop psychology terms, but in those days it was called well, a stern child. Yes, it was, it was called oh, growing
0: right. up. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But Lee once told once again the same the same person, Betty Ballantine, the woman we spoke of earlier. Betty Ballantyne, who knew Lee in Woodstock after the war, she told me she once asked. Lee when did your father stop beating you and Lee said when he was 14 because he said I got too big to beat Mm -hmm. and that was was kind of like the you know because Lee shot up like a reed when he hit adolescence so he was just too big to pick on anymore And so, consequently, I'm just adding that in there to let the reader know that it wasn't as if Lee Marvin went out of his way to get in trouble all the time. There were mitigating
0: factors. There are a lot of, there are a lot of mitigating factors which unless you're, unless you're able to dig deep as you did Dwayne, and, and and again over the course of many 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 years. I mean, in, unless you're able to dig deep and know the backstory, you don't understand the circumstances. And if you understand the circumstances, it gives you insight into the uh, into the person Lee Marvin became.
1: Indeed, indeed.
0: Uh, but one one of my favorite stories in Lee Marvin Point Blank happens to be the one that you lead the book off with, and that's the story of how uh, Lee Marvin stood up to Lee Strasberg.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you would pick that because I got to tell you, I'm I'm a firm believer in because I've read so many books in my life. um, This is my first adult biography. I've written some other young adult biographies, but I'm a firm believer that a person's life or the experience of reading about their life should very often be like a movie or a novel, Mm -hmm. you know. And I thought, what would be a great way to. to pull the reader into Lee Marvin's life to give a good anecdote to show the kind of person that he was and I it's I wasn't going to go with that one originally, just real quick. There's another story in the book that I was going to start the book with because that's how I got turned on to Lee Marvin, the story about the sons of Lee Marvin, which, uh, which is in the book. And when I found out more about it, I was fascinated. But when I read, he had told that story that in the introduction to the book. He had told that story in Rolling Stone magazine a couple of years before he died. And I reread it again, and I thought, you know what? That's the best way to set the stage for Lee Marvin. Uh, to be introduced because uh, I, I I I hasten to retell the story because I'd like people to read it themselves. But... Well,
0: I will let me tell you this. Uh, with that in mind, it, I will I will just say, I, I will say two things. One, I love that story because it reminded me of what Charles Groden told me about Lee Strasberg.
1: Yeah, Strasberg is a very controversial figure. I've heard both great and terrible things about him.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and and I believe they're both
0: true. <laughs> yeah, 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 and 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 Groden, the experience with Marvin and Lee Strasberg kind of cemented what Charles Groden told me about Strasberg, which is, and this, and because Strasberg, let, let's just say, Groden, Groden had a very similar episode when he. I wouldn't
1: when, be surprised when he was, <laughs> a,
0: but the the upshot of that is a uh, few years after the fact, you know, Groden Groden crossed paths with Strasbourg and, and Strasbourg made an interesting revelation to to Groden, uh, which is he admitted he was a much he was a better teacher than he was an actor because as an actor he was too self-conscious maybe
1: at that time yeah but you know I, I don't know what time period Grodin was uh taking classes with Strasburg but I gotta tell you the handful of film appearances that Lee Strasburg made I thought he was great but that's when he was infinitely older like when he played Hyman Roth in The Godfather and yeah and uh one of my favorite forgotten films a movie called Going in Style yeah uh, you with know, George Burns yeah, George Burns, Lee Strasberg, and Carney. I love that movie. I think it's wonderful. Um, and he's really good in it, you know, things like that. But, you know, if he was self conscious as a young, uh, when he was younger, and that's why he turned to teaching, it certainly makes sense. Um, and also, too, which is the point I think that gets brought out in the anecdote in the beginning of the book, that I think there was an ego thing about Strasberg and that he liked to kind of be in control of a situation, and Marvin flew right into the face of that control. Yeah. And it's a story that also illustrates the fact that to Lee Marvin, it was very important throughout his career to never ever be phony in anything he said or did on screen. And part of that came from his deep hatred of the phoniness he saw in his mother who was a very genteel Southern woman who liked to put on an important front and a facade. And if there's anything Lee Marvin hated with a passion, it was phoniness. And I think he saw that in Strasburg immediately.
0: We'll continue our conversation with Dwayne after this quick time out here on TV Confidential.
1: Then there came to town A gun deadly and frightening A gun quicker than lightning Fast as gun you've seen it was the gun in the hand of Steel-Eyed Kids Shelley.
3: Attention. This important consumer alert is brought to you by the Structured Settlement Cash Hotline. Did you know it's possible to receive upfront money in one large payment from your Structured Settlement? Yes, you can. If you're receiving a Structured Settlement spread out over time and you want to access your money today, call us. It's your future cash. Why not put it in your hands today? Don't wait any longer. This is the best solution if you need money to pay your bills or even help a family member who's been affected during this global time of crisis. Everyone needs a little money right now, and our hotline is here for you. If you have a structured settlement where you're getting money spread out over time and you want it faster, call now. This simple 10-minute call can get your money now. The call is free. And it costs you nothing. 800-965-7987. 800-965-7987. 800-965-7987. That's 800-965-7987.
2: Story Salon is Los Angeles' longest-running storytelling venue. We have live shows every Wednesday in Studio City, as well as solo shows, podcasts, CDs, and several books. Los Angeles Daily News calls Story Salon... Gemstones of narrative. Something new, funny, astonishing. Sunset Magazine says, Tales tall, tragic, and tantalizing. All of this makes Story Salon one of the most eclectic entertainment experiences available. You can learn more about us by going to our Facebook page or by visiting our website at www.storysalon.com.
1: accredited by guinness world records welcome to archival television audio incorporated a peerless tv soundtrack archive preserving the audio from television's first three decades the 1950s 60s and 70s the golden and silver age of television
0: for more information go to atvaudio.com be part of our conversation if you like what you hear